Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello, welcome back to Broken Records. This is episode 84 of the podcast, which searches high, low, and to either side and sort of northwesterly as well to find the worst album ever made in the history of music ever. We haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, so um, sorry if you've missed us. We are back. My name's Stephen Hill, and as ever, I'm joined by mr renfrey deadman hello renfrey how are you hello uh i'm good steve how are you doing i'm all right thanks mate i'm all right i'm um kind of kind of looking forward to talking about this record because uh it's been in the news a little bit recently just because various members have been talking about it Mm. yeah and um so you know i it was interesting to go back to one of the big 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 bands in the world and look at something which is sort of less interesting now we should say before we go any further we don't put any of these records in here just because we personally think they're rubbish they are here from their reputation your suggestion we have actually had a couple of suggestions recently uh for records that should go into the hat and they are going to go in that hat just so you know uh their critical standing or the fan reaction or something else something else uh that happened to the record that has maybe put it here. And on this week's show, we're going to be talking about Born Again by Black Sabbath, the 11th studio album from the inventors of heavy metal, released on 7th of August, 1983. Before we go any further, though, I'm just very, very quickly going to run down the flop 20 so that you know exactly what it is that we're talking about and how bad the things are um, that we are talking about. The 20 worst albums we have covered thus far in this podcast go like this. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band original soundtrack is number 20, followed by Eogan Quig by Eogan Quig. Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume 2, Testify by Phil Collins. Blood, Sweat and Towers by Towers of London. Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice. The Rebirth by Little Wayne. Cut the Crap by The Clash. And Jet to the Core by Corey Feldman. Philosophy of the World by The Shags. Asshole by Gene Simmons. Total Zanarchy by Little Zan. Paula by Robin Thicke. Bad Blood by Blood and the Dance Floor. Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem. True Symphonic Rockestra with a concerto and True Minor. Double Wide by Uncle Cracker. Crazy Frogs, Crazy Hits. I'm Not a Fan But The Kids Like It by Broken Side. And number one, My Teenage Dream Ended by Farah Abraham. Also shout out Guns N' Roses for their unranked masterpiece stroke nightmare that was Chinese Democracy. And it's a sort of similar album in some ways to, I, I mean, God, nothing similar to, uh, to Chinese, to Chinese democracy. democracy, really. But in terms of a big... In terms of how big the band are, yeah, absolutely. And how many original members they kicked out and how much of a fucking weird time they had recording it. There's nothing else you can really compare Chinese Democracy to. But if you were going to, then this is maybe like 20% of what happened with Chinese Democracy at the very, very most. Yes. Mm. Yeah, so the 7th of August, 1983, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, obviously... We, as metal fans, tend to gloss over this period of Black Sabbath, I think. 
it's fair to say. Is that fair to say, Renfrey, that this is like a very, very much glossed over period of Black Sabbath? Absolutely it is. To the point where um, I only... I was about to say only recently, but I'd say in the last five, six years, read my first like Black Sabbath biography. It was the Mick War one, uh, which is great. Um, But I never realised there was a period of time where Black Sabbath was essentially Tony Iommi solo. Now, this album comes just prior to that. And I think there is another record by Black Sabbath, a.k.a. it's just Tony Iommi. Um, In the hat. I think it's called Forbidden. Isn't that one of the Tony Tony Iommi solo ones? I don't know. But anyway, I was completely... I didn't know... Yeah. Mm. I didn't know anything about that at all until five or six years ago when I read it in that Black Sabbath biography. I think that goes to show how little this period of Sabbath is talked about. This is probably the beginning, isn't it? Maybe Never Say Die. I don't know. I think Never Say Die was prior to this, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah. uh, You know, it... It ain't great, this period, to be fair. And the thing is, is that Black Sabbath had famously already escaped the departure of one iconic vocalist and stayed relevant when Ozzy Osbourne left the band and was replaced by Ronnie James Dio. And that period, you would think, you know, I think at the time people would have been a bit sceptical, you know, the the, the classic lineup of Black Sabbath um, falling apart. But the two albums in the 80s that Black Sabbath did with Ronnie James Dio are very well loved. You know, I think Heaven yeah. and Hell from 1980 is considered an absolute stone cold classic in the band's discography. As good as, you know, some people would say as good as anything that they, they've ever put out. Um, I wouldn't quite go that far personally. And Mob Rules, which was about a year later, was also very, very well liked by a certain section of Black Sabbath fans. Hmm. It certainly, to my ears, might not be quite as incredible as that early run that the band had in the early part of the 70s. But they're good albums all the same. And certainly, you know, in terms of would those records ever get into the hat for this particular podcast, not a fucking chance. No. They're nowhere near no. kind of derided or disliked or just bad enough to get in there at all. That Fair? Would be, it would be incredibly difficult to argue for those albums to to be in broken records i I think it would be a a total madness to be honest yeah it would be fucking it would be fucking nuts it's fair to say that you know in theory they're in quite a good place aren't they they're in quite a good place black sabbath when you come round to sort of you know the, the the postscript of mob rules because although they weren't i don't think those albums were initially as commercially successful Metal's in a really good place and they've got this great vocalist and this, you know, new lineup with Vinnie Apiece on drums who's come in to replace Bill Ward, who's a great drummer. And you'd think, oh, this is good. This is all going to kind of work out quite well for Black Sabbath now. But um, it didn't really happen like that because Live Evil was the album that kind of, um, I think, sort of caused the most problems within the band that was like a you know a, a live document um that by all accounts the thing is it's a story i think it's been told so many times over the years about the falling out during this record so ronnie james dio apparently didn't like the pictures that the bands were using of him that the band were using as promo you know he didn't like the amount of pictures that were in there of tony and geezer and 
he kind of felt a bit like put out his nose a bit put out a joint that he wasn't sort of considered the, the front man and the focal point of the band around that time. And also, he, you know, there were accusations that he was going into the studio and, you know, sort of bringing his vocals up on the mix while they were doing the, the mixing and the recording of Live Evil. Obviously, it's a live album, but they were mixing it. And, you know, mm. there, there was chat that he was kind of trying to get his vocals as pushed further, further, further forward in the mix as he possibly could. And um, the band themselves didn't really like this. And he was also working on a solo album, which I presume would end up being... Holy Diver, Holy Diver, I presume, mm. um, while all this was going on. So even though on the surface, after two albums that people quite liked, uh, it wasn't all going particularly swimmingly in the Black Sabbath camp in terms of personal relationships between the members of the band. No. Um, I suppose in terms of Black Sabbath's fortunes themselves, they had had a resurgence of sorts um, because obviously the last couple of... Um, it was technical ecstasy and never say die wasn't it the yeah. last couple of aussie albums weren't wonderful it wasn't a wonderful way for him to depart the band to be totally honest um but with heaven and hell and mob rules black sabbath i think regained some clout at the very least yeah they definitely did they definitely did but then suddenly dio was kicked out of the band or was he kicked out? Was he kicked out or did he leave? I mean, the thing is, is again, like so much back and forth over the decades and decades. What are we like four decades down the line now mm. since Dio left? It was 1982. So we're looking at literally 40 years. And these are stories that have been told and talked about over and over again. So I don't really think we're particularly going to get anything new. You're not going to get anything new in this podcast where we're like, well, actually, it was Geezer Butler who made who who did it, and we've discovered the reasons why. We haven't done that. We're just kind of parroting the the many many long trodden out facts about Dio leaving Black Sabbath. I don't know who was in the wrong. I don't know who was in the right. I don't know why those personal relationships started to spiral out of control. Some people over the years said, "Oh, Dio is such a fucking diva." Some people have said, "Oh, why did Tony have to be such an egotist and make it all about him?" Who knows? But anyway, the point is, he was gone. Dio decided when he left or was kicked out that he was going to be taking drummer Vinnie Apiece with him. And he went and joined Dio. Which actually, I was thinking, no one ever really says anything about this. Fucking ballsy of Vinnie Apiece to just be like, I'm going with the singer to do this new band. You're the drummer in Black Sabbath, mate. Literally yeah. drumming for Black Sabbath. The only, the second person to drum for Black Sabbath. And you were like, I think I'll leave. Shit must have been really fucking bad. Because yeah. you wouldn't get me doing that. If that's not my problem. If, if the singer and the guitarist have got a problem and I'm the drummer and I'll be just be like, well, I might keep my mouth shut. I'm in black. I'm, I'm essentially a member of the first ever heavy metal band. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself. I'm just going to fucking keep time. But Vinnie Apiece didn't do that. So shit must have been really bad. I mean, I guess I, I wonder if that was the perception of Sabbath at the time. Probably was, wasn't it? I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't even alive, um, so it feels like Black Sabbath are more loved now than they ever have been. You know, and certainly like the critics hated them and stuff like that, and they went mm. through that fallow period. I don't know. I it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I know that we just said that like they were in a good place, but that doesn't necessarily. I don't know what kind of venues they were playing on these kind of on these tours or anything like that or on these album cycles i don't i don't really know if it would have had much um cadre to sort of say uh 
oh i'm a member of black sabbath you know it might have done mm. at the time i don't know I'm yeah saying. i mean i don't know i think maybe kind of when he joined maybe not mm. but you'd have thought a couple of years down the line with two good you know decent albums one very good album behind him i don't know i just thought that would have been something that you'd be like Probably. But then he got it, it to be fair, he did get it right. To be fair to him, he did get it right. Um, so not only did Black Sabbath have to record yet another singer, they had to get another drummer too. Uh, the audition process for new singers included David Coverdale, apparently, auditioning for Black Sabbath, which, I mean, what we got was quite weird. That would have been really fucking weird to let David Coverdale singing for Black Sabbath. It would have been even sexier than what it we It would got. have been... Eve, no, and I mean, if that if such a thing exists, I mean, it doesn't exist. And there's only one way to make anything a bit more sexy, and that's to put David Coverdale, fucking Lino from Thundercats, like in a in a crotchless leather pair of pantyhose, like up there singing fucking Children of the Grave. It just doesn't work. How can it work? Silk-shirted bouffon man doing fucking Sweet Leaf. I just don't yeah. see it. No, no, I, it's it's it it is even stranger than Ian Gillen with Sabbath, which, as we will get onto, is pretty fucking weird. Pretty fucking weird. Um, and it seemed like they only wanted people that were weird and unsuitable for it because I thought, bloody hell, Ian Gillen's weird. Oh, bloody hell, they they auditioned David Coverdale. That actually is weirder. And then I read, did you know this, Renfrey? They auditioned apparently Michael Bolton auditioned i did for this. this yes now this this is pre-fame michael bolton it I was yeah. yeah 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 now to me that is so weird that i want it to happen <laughs> yeah yeah it, 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 that is one of those mad mad facts like could be like a pub like it'd be good for a pub quiz like ah. Uh, yeah what what would that look like i'm trying to think of what that because you know there's been a few over the years that have happened and you sort of like Les claypool in metallica would have been fucking weird whitfield crane in life of agony was weird i mean what we got here is weird this is weird uh, uh, but but michael bolton front in black sabbath that is like uh, i mean that is like jake shears from the scissor sisters front in napalm death weird <laughs> That is like Mika joins Dying Fetus. Do you know what I mean? That is <laughs> fucking so weird. It is bizarre. I suppose it's bizarre because of what we know of Michael Bolton now. At that point, he might have still been trying to like figure out what he was, what his career was. Maybe he dabbled a little bit with heavy metal. I mean, it's like um, it's like I find it really difficult to process the fact that Art Attacks Neil Buchanan is in a heavy metal band, you know? Yeah. Even though I've seen pictures, mm. I can't quite compute it. Well, that's years of metal telling you that if you like metal, you must only like metal. Yeah. Not even, you're not even allowed to like kind of crooning and stuff. You're not allowed to like painting if you like metal. You've got to just <laughs> like metal. Anything that isn't metal or instantly linked and related to metal is not something you should be doing with your time. So Neil Buchanan being in a heavy metal band whilst also being in Art Attack. I've seen Art Attack has nothing to do with heavy metal at all. No, nothing. So you so and if you like the thing about metal is it sort of teaches you that if you like metal, your entire personality has to be made up of the fact that you like metal. 
And, and Neil Buchanan doing kind of an oil painting of a lake. He didn't do an oil painting of a lake with a, fla- a Slayer flag. He didn't do an oil painting of a lake with a guy throwing the horn stood on the bank. Do you know what I mean? He didn't, like, there wasn't someone kind of punting down there listening to Chaos AD on a boombox or anything. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of go, well, how can you be into metal if, if, that's, if, you, t- if you don't talk about it and nothing 24/7. else all the time? Yeah. It still blows my mind. It's mad, yeah. Mm. But that's, you know, not 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 all genres are like that, but but metal kind of is a bit. Neil Buchanan should have been doing Art Attack with, like, his Art Attack t-shirt with, like, a Venom patch sewn to it. Just so we knew. Yeah, I agree. Really. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, Michael Bolton didn't get the job. The job, as you have already mentioned, ended up going to former Deep Purple vocalist Ian Gillen. Now, we can look back on this and go... Oh, this was a bad idea because we've seen the aftermath of it being a bad idea. But thinking back and imagining what this might have looked like then, I wonder, I kind of, I don't really know if it is uh, the reaction at the time or is it the aftermath because of what we got that people are going, well, this is fucking weird. I mean, it does seem like a weird fit on paper to get a guy who's like, I want to be Elvis and he used to be in Jesus Christ Superstar. And then bringing them into the kind of doomiest, heaviest band that were around at the time. That feels like a weird thing to do. But when when trying to put my head into the context of, you know, pre this album and pre all of that stuff happening. I can't, what are the arguments for Ian Gillen being in Black Sabbath, really? Well. Fuck me, I've thrown you a curveball there, haven't I? Uh, no, I mean, yes and no. Um, I mean... I think the thing that makes this album make a bit more sense is the fact that the musicians, when they were writing and recording the album, they didn't know it was going to be a Black Sabbath album. They initially teamed up with Gillen as a kind of supergroup type thing. Yeah. So I guess you could argue it was an almost like Audio Slave of its day in a weird way. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Audio Slave is far better than this album. Um, but you know you've got a singer of a very prominent band joining the three instrumental members of another very prominent band as audio slave all over really um so I can imagine an awful lot of people being really excited about it, but it wasn't until the record was being primed for release that the record company turned around and said, "This is going to be a Black Sabbath album um It's kind of astonishing one of the things that I found really astonishing about black sabbath's career when reading that um biography was just how little control i think tony iomi in particular had over what happened with them and i guess it's i guess black sabbath are probably one of the bands that i've read the biography you know a little bit earlier on because i guess a lot of the biographies i've read are probably 90s and noughties and stuff like that but just seeing how much bands totally got fucked over by record companies just 20 years earlier is pretty astonishing but decisions like that were just completely and utterly out of the hands of the creatives which seems insane it does it is mad isn't it i mean it just it wouldn't happen now that they went and and it's not even like they were sort of asked oh we'd like this to go as a black sabbath album we think it should be a black sabbath album and they went um oh okay fine 
we're Black Sabbath now. No, they were just D- told. They were just like d- overruled. But Don Arden came back, um, the famous manager, Sharon Osbourne's um, uh, dad. Dad. Don't said husband then, but that's not right. Uh, dad uh, came back. That would back. be a, a that would be, case in waiting. It would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, and he just completely overruled the fact that they didn't want to make it a Black Sabbath album. Yeah. Nope. It's a Black Sabbath album. That's what it's going to be. I guess I I just I think that's just how things were done then. Just fucking mental. Absolutely mental. Uh we should say also they had to get a new drummer as I mentioned. They got a newly sober Bill Ward to come back and dr- play drums. I say newly sober. I mean by all accounts Ward would um record his part sober and then get drunk afterwards, which is um much, uh, much more healthy, I think. I'm not really sure. Uh, 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 uh... I, I don't know if health is the word. Um, uh, it, it, I suppose it means that you're more of a... Um, uh, what, what's the term when you're... Sound mind? Well, no, you're, you're, an, uh, you're an alcoholic, but you, you can still get on with things. Functioning. Functioning alcoholic, thank you. There we go. Yeah, so uh, he actually says, I got drunk after I finished all of my work on the album, which wasn't a very good idea. 60 to 70% of my energy was taken up on learning how to get through the days without drinking and learning how to do things without drinking. And 30% of me was involved in the album. I would suggest you have a problem if uh, those are the percentages that you're chucking out there. I think I think that's probably fair. Uh, Geezer Butler said, we thought we were doing some kind of Gillen Iommi Butler Ward album. That is the way we approached the album. When we finished the album, we took it to the record company and they said, well, here's the contract. It's going to go out as a Black Sabbath album. The album itself was recorded in Manor Studios in Oxford. The band um, were not all sure about the lyrical direction that Ian Gillen wanted to take on the record. <laughs> Bill not, Ward not said... Surprised. Not surprisingly, <laughs> no. With Bill Ward saying he didn't particularly like some of the lyrics that Ian was bringing forward and putting into the songs. Not because Ian doesn't write good lyrics or anything like that. I think Ian is an excellent performer, great singer, and often at times I think his lyrics can be quite brilliant. I, I just have a personal difference in what I like to hear in the way of lyrics, and so I felt terribly disconnected. Uh, Gillen himself has described himself as the worst singer Black Sabbath ever had. He said it was totally, totally incompatible with any music they've ever done. I didn't wear leathers. I wasn't of that image. I think the fans were probably in a total state of confusion. Tony Iommi has actually said that he thinks Gillen's lyrics were good, just different, and that they actually had a a good time recording the album, Uh, recording how Gillen had told him that he was going to live in a tent at the end of the manor whilst recording, not a chicken coop. Oh, no. Closest thing, the pre-chicken coop era this was of rock bands living in places near the studio. Um, He said, I thought he was joking, but I arrived at the manor and I saw this marquee outside and I thought, fucking hell, he's serious. Ian had put up this huge tent. It had a cooking area and a bedroom and whatever else. Um, uh, Ian's lyrics were about sexual things or true facts, even about stuff that happened at the manor there and then. They were good, but quite a departure from Geezer and Ronnie's lyrics. Gillen returned from a local pub one evening and had taken a car that belonged to Bill Ward and decided to go racing round a go-kart track. Uh, sorry, racing around, yeah, the, the go-kart track at the studio's property. So Manor Studios had a kind of go-kart track and he crashed the car, it exploded, it started burning and he just ran away. And that is what the album's opening song, Trashed, is about that mm. evening, apparently. What, what, a, what a laugh. So What a lark that must have been you could do that in them days couldn't you you, could, you well, used to be able to do that back in the old days 
Yeah, I think so. Which is why you think the old days are better. Is that right? No, I think there's a happy medium to be struck okay. between, you know... That's probably gr- Stealing a car when you're pissed, crashing it and blowing it into flames and letting it burn out and nearly dying uh, and lots of the other things that the people got up to at this time uh-huh. and having to go on TikTok to apologise because you said one of your fans was a poo head or something um, or wrong and you're just you know not every little thing you do is scrutinized to the point of like tedium i think there's a middle ground between those two things that's what i would say uh unless you're Alstorm. <laughs> yeah that was an annoyingly calm and collected answer yeah well you know that is what i'm actually like in the real world guys uh apparently gillen thought the record was actually sensational until it was mixed when it was totally destroyed there is a thing about the mixing of the record where apparently gillen was playing the album so loud in the studio that he blew the speakers and the band themselves didn't notice that certain parts of the speakers had been blown out so when they were listening to it they were hearing something which wasn't actually what they were meant to be hearing and when it got sent off to be mastered they got a kind of the, the the mix they asked for on real speakers didn't sound anything like they wanted it to sound like and they didn't actually get to hear that finished product until they were on tour and the album was already out mm. which is annoying isn't it Certainly. seems like he's causing a fair old bit of trouble mm. it's 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 um certainly quite a weird mix isn't it even even for the time um it doesn't hit with very much mm. punch uh it's i'm not even going to go as far as to say that it's bad but it's certainly a weird choice it's a really yeah it's a very unusual sound album but then i'm wondering if like a lot of that is due to i don't even know really a lot of it is probably due to like other things could be maybe yeah you know (laughs) like the actual band and the actual singer and trying to kind of find some kind of happy medium between those two things i think are more to blame for the sort of air eh, nature of it than the actual mix which isn't great to be fair but we also need to talk about steve jewell or crusher to give him the name that you might know him as uh he was maybe even is a dj and was a kerrang designer from back in the day he designed the cover art for this album which has played i would say a fairly significant part in it appearing here on this podcast. Yeah. Are you aware of Crusher, Renfrey? Do you remember him? Um, no, I don't remember Crusher. Oh, okay. He was... He used to present Noisy Mothers, which was a sort of short-lived show on... Was it ITV? It was on late... and I, I mean, never, never, never knew when it was on, but it was on late night, and I think on ITV, and it was just a sort of, like, metal show where they play the odd video. And it's a bit like sort of Headbangers Ball. Um, I never really watched it that much, but I've seen it a few times. There's a few things on YouTube. Um, but he was just like a sort of old hairy man and he was sort of sarcastic. And uh, he would be at the, he would be like the MC at like the Monsters of Rock. But he MC'd the 1998 Ozfest. It was the first time I saw him in the flesh. And um, I just remember thinking, like, you're just not funny anymore, I'm afraid, mate. Because the world sort of moved on to, like, Limp Biscuit and Corn and stuff like that. And he's making jokes about, like, mullets and 
Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I, I remember see. just thinking like you feel really, really out of place at this point in a sort of, you know, battle patch denim jacket and drain pipe jeans and, you know, big curly hair and a, a big beard when we're all like skinhead, eyebrow piercing, baggy trouser, chain wallet, fucking basketball vest kids. Yeah. Sort of looking at him like, you know, he, 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 might, he might as well have been wearing like elizabethan dress do you know what i mean you might, you might have been dressing like you're in pride and prejudice <laughs> yeah i've just looked him i've just looked him up and he does look familiar but um i never really i've never seen him like on tv or anything like that right okay yeah i mean i don't think he's been around tv for a bloody long time i remember when therapy played download it's probably about 10 years ago now 10 12 years ago now therapy played download and they got him out to introduce him and he looked old then so I imagine he's fucking really, really old now. But anyway, he designed the cover art for this album, right? And um, apparently the picture is from a magazine from 1968. It was a front cover of a magazine of 1968 of a baby that was kind of photocopied in black and white and adapted for the cover. Um it was also the same photo apparently was used on the 12 inch for new life the 1981 single by depeche mode Mm. which i've never actually seen that particular cover before but i'm aware of that but um this is what crusher has to say about the artwork and how it came together the one of the baby was actually the front cover of a 1968 magazine called mind alive i took some black and white photocopies of the image that i overexposed the horns, nails, fangs into the equation. Used mostly outrageous colour combinations that acid could buy. Bastardised a bit of the old English typeface and sat back, shook my head and chuckled. Suddenly, I had to do the bloody thing. Because Tony, uh, Tony and me and Giza Butler came back and were like, oh, we quite like this. I was offered a ridiculous amount of money to, to deliver the finished artwork by a certain date. I kept putting it off until the day before when I sprang to action with the help of a neighbour. A bottle of Jack Daniels and the filthiest speed that money could buy. We bashed it out in a night, but strangely, Matt Cavalier and Glenn Benton have since said that it's their favourite album sleeve. Which they have. <laughs> I mean, Tony Iommi's had to kind of take the brunt of this for the years because, by all accounts, he's the person who said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine, use this. But it has gone down as one of the worst covers of an album in the history of music. Bill Ward said he hated it and had nothing to do with him. Gillen said he vomited when he saw the cover. I think he's been a bit OTT there. Uh, It was voted the second worst cover ever by Kerrang! magazine. It was on the enemies list of the 29 sickest album covers in 2010. And um, the manager, Don Arden, who of course at this point had fallen out with Ozzy Osbourne, used to say that it looked like Sharon and Ozzy's kids. on the front. So that would probably be Amy Kelly or Jack. More Kelly. I reckon, um, which isn't a very nice thing to say, but uh, it's not fine. Very nice um, the artwork of this Renfrey, the artwork of this Renfrey, uh, oh, fucking hell! Like where, where do you even start with it? Look at it. Why? It, it's fucking horrible. It's like a red devil baby with green eyes and yellow fingernails and yellow teeth. Um, it is horrible, but at the same time, I will acknowledge that surely that's meant to be, it's meant to look horrible, right? You know, there are some things, there are some things that you look at, some covers that you look at and you're like, oh, that's all grisly and horrible and disturbing, but it doesn't feel unsafe. There's something about this cover that feels unsafe, a little bit like the um, 
original Black Sabbath. Like that that lady, the lady in the it's not in a forest. It's just in like a clearing, isn't it? This like that is a terrible cover, yeah. really, in terms of like the way that it's put together and all that sort of thing. But there's just something about it that is spooky. I wouldn't say there's something about this that's spooky. There's something about this that is just yuck. But, you Mm. know, I I feel like that's actually a bit of a win for a heavy metal album cover. (laughs) Isn't it? I would have thought. Uh, I mean, it's fucking horrible. It's horrible, but then it's not horrible when they're like cannibal corpse tomb of the mutilated sort of way it's just horrible as in that like that is a jarring combination of colors yeah it doesn't really like it's not it's not that scary it's horrible looking but it's not exactly like it's not scary no meatloaf album covers are like if it's going for the same thing as like like a meatloaf album cover or an iron maiden album cover like fair play to maiden they have you know good album covers right when you look at the front of like peace of mind if they're going for something like that, this is quite the miserable failure, I would say. If they, and it, I mean, I don't think they are going quite as far as for yeah. like Tumid and Mutilated by Cannibal Corpse. But it's like, it's very easy to get anything and just slap the wrong colours on it and then put <laughs> fangs on it and go, this is now scary. I mean, you know, people said that it was very easy to just mess up a bedroom and put it in an art space. But, you know, Tracy Emin did it. So I think I think you could apply that argument to this. You could. I mean, I think that's a little bit different because that literally then goes every album art is good because it's different from well, the other album art. You could extend it to that, yeah. You could, I suppose. Yeah. Whereas the Tracy Emin thing, I think you can go, well, this is definitely different. I mean, I'm not even sure that this is that different. It just looks like it's... Mm. It just looks amateurish, doesn't it? Un unfinished. I mean, it's not quite. I mean, in terms of it being the absolute worst, I'll take it over the Black Flag album cover, definitely. Like you know, it's, it's better um, than that. Yeah, yeah, I think I would as well. Yeah, we've been we've spoken about a few quite bad ones recently. Well, Corey Feld. Well, this wasn't recent, but the Corey Feldman one always comes to mind when I think of uh, the album yeah. covers. Yeah, uh, I mean Farrah Abrahams is pretty bad. Yeah, that is bad. I mean, those two are. This is more like Farrah Abraham than it is Corey yeah. Feldman. Corey Feldman's got too much going on. Yeah, but they do seem to be a kind of composite of it because again, the, the the colors on the Corey Feldman one are horrible, and the, the, <laughs> you know the the Farrah Abraham one is just like a Polaroid picture of her mm. with you know the sh- a shit like pics like really kind of. Cluttered, clutterly pixelated picture of her and her kid mm. and then just pink bold face type with the thing on like it's all it's really really awful mm. but um this seems to sit like kind of in the middle of those two things too do you know what i mean because it's really sort of shoddily thrown together but it's all and it's and there's not really anything there but it also feels kind of cluttered and well why have you picked like too much why have you picked that red why have you picked that yellow why have you picked that that blue why have you used that really shit looking font for the cover like 
everything about it is just it's kind of it's kind of too much and too little at the same time mm. uh, i mean it's undoubtedly a massive failure <laughs> um i suppose i'm just i was just trying to look at it from the angle of well at least it genuinely does look gross you know um at least it genuinely does make you it, i mean it, it it provokes a feeling in you you know this album artwork still does and i you know do cannibal corpse uh covers make me actually feel anything anymore i think they used to yeah anymore yeah yeah but i've been quite desensitized to it but this this image i find it difficult to become desensitized to i find it as creepy creepy is the word isn't it is i find it as creepy now as i did when i first saw it and actually when i first saw it, it may well have been in that kerrang worst covers feature mm. uh yeah okay i mean you know it's 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 pretty bad i mean but... i think it's awful i i, I yeah. and like if anyone were to get a tattoo of the born again cover art i mean someone has haven't they someone has oh someone must have done i'm sure someone's someone has. done it but like like a massive chest piece Ugh. um no i mean it's horrible but at the same time i think that's actually quite good for what it is if that makes sense yeah i understand that i understand that um but but people did fucking hate it. But then yeah. it doesn't matter because it's just it's just the bloody album cover, guys. I'm sure the music's fine. Let's see. <laughs> These are what the reviews said. Now I can't find many reviews from the time. There's one on Blender. Um, they give it one star and said the cover is awful. The music is worth 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 worse. With Dio gone, X Deep Purple frontman Ian Gillen lends Sabbath a jarring bluesy edge. A sober ward rejoined, but soon fell off the wagon and packed his bags again. Their life set incorporated a model of Stonehenge and a dwarf. The makers of St- Spinal Tap, if no one else, were impressed. Rolling Stone gave it three stars. Can't find a review of that. All Music called it one of music's greatest disappointments in its one and a half star review. Here it is. It's the Metal Forces review from the time. Metal Forces, at the time, gave it eight out of ten. Um, finishing their review by saying, all in all, Born Again is an excellent debut for the new lineup, and if they can better this material on the next album, then they may yet conquer the world again. Mm. Well, Oof, crikey. Well, they did, get, they did get half of that right. Just not... I mean, they kind of did conquer the world again, but just yeah. not with this. 15 years later, yeah. it was completely... <laughs> different lineup yeah um i just again just trying to be kind <laughs> yeah somebody called martin Popoff gave it 10 out of 10 i don't really know where that's come from uh bill stevenson the drummer in black flag and descendants and all and other lots and lots of other bands he said that black flag were listening to this album when they recorded my war which is obviously oh. a hugely influential record ozzy osbourne has said that it was the around the time it came out i should say he said it was the best non-him black sabbath album but I think there's a bit of a, there was a bit of a needle between him and Ronnie James Dio, wasn't there? So I feel like he's just saying that as yeah. a like not too subtle troll, at Ronnie James Dio. Probably that's the sort of thing you say when you don't mean something, but you know that that exact thing will really annoy someone that you don't really like. We know about this. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's how. You, that's what happens a lot. And um, Chris Barnes of Six Feet Under fame, fellow. Uh, Broken Records alumni he said that it was his 
favourite, but what I actually said it was the best Black Sabbath album. Not even his favourite. He said it's the best Black Sabbath album. Whee-hoo! Wow. Mm. He says some things, Chris Barnes, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? He, he loves says saying things. things. Yeah. He says some things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, he's allowed to think that. He is allowed to think that, yeah. He's allowed to think that. But, um, like most things that Chris Barnes says, I would suggest taking that with a pinch of salt. It reached number four on the UK chart and reached number 39 on the US Billboard 200. So it did all right. You know, it was actually yeah. higher charting than the the last one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's a good sign, I think. I think a new singer in is going to naturally revive, like build up people's curiosity. So there'll probably be a natural... It'll probably naturally get more sales through that alone. But, but you know, it's not bad. It's certainly good. It's going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I would say that's... that's yeah, but... Uh, anyway, Renfrey, okay. what do you think about Born Again by Black Sabbath? Uh, well, it's a very strange mix, Ian Gillen and the other members of sabbath as we have already discussed and it makes for some really odd moments sabbath were never a sexy band and they weren't a sexy band on born again either um but my god ian gillen really tries to make them sexy with songs like keep it warm and i'm not sure where he's suggesting to keep it warm what else is on here that's like quote unquote sexy well I mean, you digital know, bitch. I mean, I was I was gonna get to digital bitch at some point. I mean, we'll I, go back. We'll, we can go back to that because there's quite a lot to talk about with digital bitch. Mm. Um, it begins okay, like trashed is a perfectly fine. It's not great, but it's fine. It's a fine opener to a metal album in from 1983, I think. Mm. Um, the much fabled Stonehenge instrumental, which we'll probably talk about in the aftermath, I actually really enjoyed. <laughs> I thought it was great, and I thought it was one of the best things on the record. Which, if you know the Stonehenge instrumental, is not saying an awful lot. Uh, this is a perturbator remix of Black of Black Sabbath, isn't it? Really, yeah, it's it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, I think disturbing the priest is actually a, a, a perfectly fine song, and there's some really like there's a nice use of natural harmonics in the riff, which might be the earliest time I recall hearing natural harmonics on an album. Bearing in mind it came out August 1983, if anyone can think of an earlier time, I'd love to know. So do tweet. But um, I thought that was quite cool. But Gillen's like very forced cackle. <laughs> sort of thing like and his vocals are like someone stepping on hot coals as well aren't they oh ah, ah! Oh, oh! i mean that was my thing when he comes in at the start of the the first song and, and trashed and he goes ah! and starts talking about slamming a bottle of tequila yeah i was like well i'm more than aware this is going to be rather different to the usual black sabbath album and yeah. and and it is and it's a weird but the fact that what's weird about it is when you think about it in terms of it being a black sabbath album and it doesn't have the same kind of 
alchemy as the original Black Sabbath, but it and it, but it's not actually that weird a mix, really. Like there were plenty of bands who were doing a kind of you know histrionic vocalist over heavy riffs, and you know, and Sabbath are trying to be a bit more modern. I mean, eighties modern, modern for them. Uh, I think it, but, I think it's more. It felt weird for Sabbath more than yeah. it felt weird. Full stop. I think. Yeah. But yeah. It is. I mean, I think Disturbing the Priest actually sounds quite contemporary, again, for the time. Maybe even quite ahead of its time for 1983. I think if you take away Gillen's vocal, it's probably the best song on the album, <laughs> to be honest. But Gillen's vocal is very present in the mix, so it's quite difficult to ignore it. But yeah. um, I think, I, I mean, keeping everything in mind, keep like bearing in mind that his vocal is on there, I think probably Trashed is the best song. But Disturbing the Peace in terms of like songwriting and the way the song's put together, I think is the best song on this record. And it's it's all right. <laughs> you know, that's the best this album gets, I think, all right. Uh, mm. there's, there's then another instrumental, which is probably a good idea because you want to get as many instrumentals on this album as possible um, with that strange combination. And then Zero the Hero, man. Boy, Eight minutes boy. long, nearly. Fucking hell. Mm, it does not justify... I mean, it's seven and a half, pedantic, but it does not justify its length at all. Very repetitive, very dull. To be honest with you, gave me very big St. Anger vibes from the point of view that it felt very riffy, but very repetitive and just never seemed to end. And I was like, where have I had this feeling before? Oh, yeah, it's when I listened to St. Anger. <laughs> Not all of St. Anger, to be fair, because some of us in Anger, I think, is great. But but that is the predominant problem with that record, isn't it? It's too fucking long and it's really repetitive. Yeah. And those are the exact issues with Zero the Hero as well. And it's not, it's not even... The riff itself, which they repeat over and over again, sometimes you can... Um, you can forgive it, like um, not Stone the Crow, Bury Me in Smoke um, by Down, because it's like, well, that riff's so fucking good. Yep. It doesn't work here, because the riff's not good enough. It's as simple as that. No, it, it's not a good song, and there's no way it needs to be seven and a half minutes. And it sounds like The Almighty or Skin or something like Do you know what I mean? It sounds like one of those kind of pub rock bands that sort of cropped up towards the sort of latter part of the 80s when. I guess that weren't really, you know, post Guns N' Roses that would have been a hair metal band or a heavy metal band or a sort of new Wobbin band before that who kind of tried to make their music a bit more kind of greasy, I guess, like a bit more bikery and... Yeah. But but actually weren't, just weren't that good. And that's yeah. sort of what, it, what... That reminds me of that style. And like you say, it just goes on... And on and on. I'm yawning at the thought of it actually being on. <laughs> it's 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 very yeah, agreed with all of that. It's just it's just it's not a great idea. For some reason they leapt on it as an idea which should be repeated over and over again and uh, it shouldn't have it's not very good you wanted to talk about digital bath uh, digital, di- digital bath I'd, I'd love, love to talk digital about bath. digital bath uh digital bitch um which I, I mean, think, what a terrible name for a song to terrible start with. Terrible name. Digital sh- bitch. Uh, I mean, at the time, I'm sure it sounded really modern and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, fucking awful, 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 awful. So the music to this song sounds like the kind of generic music that you could 
You know, you know, Alan Partridge, where it's like crash, bang, wallop. What a video! Like, and and they, it's just video. It's just loads of like CCTV footage of cars crashing. It sounds like one of those things you'd buy. The music that they get, the kind of stock music that they can get for one of those videos for like a, a NASCAR compilation video from 1989 or something. <laughs> so the music sounds like that. And then you've got Gillen going, keep away from the digital bitch. She's so rich. Digital bitch. Nah. I don't like it. I don't like Ian Gillen gurning all over the end and going, ooh, uh. she's a bitch. Bitch. Ooh, bitch. Ooh. All over it. It is fucking <laughs> rubbish. It is rubbish, that song. Yeah, probably the worst song on the album. Oh, no, probably about it. It's fucking dreadful, that song. Dreadful. Yeah. It's fucking awful. It's dated really badly. And even if it hadn't dated badly, it's not a particularly good song anyway. So. Oh, my God. See, I'm fucking yawning again at the thought of Digital Bitch. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really bad. Um... And then they do the uh, the milk tray advert from the 1980s, don't they? <laughs> Black Sabbath doing a kind of Alana Miles love ballad. Like, please, Black Sabbath, please do not do a love ballad. But, yep, here we are. Here we are. Black Sabbath succumb to the power ballad. Um, do you know what I mean? Only the crumbliest, flakiest milk chocolate. Like... <laughs> It sounds like that. It's not good. Like, I don't... Again, there's two songs back-to-back which I just really hated. And they clock in at a good 10 minutes. So the album itself is 41 minutes long. So this is a quarter of the album that we're talking about, Digital Bitch and Born Again. So that's a quarter of the album. Although I don't think everything on here is awful, that particular quarter is really, really bad. Really bad. Yeah, I I I, I'm, I think I probably prefer the title track to Digital Bitch and Zero the Hero, but I don't think it's any good. No, I mean Zero the Hero is 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 not good either. Zero the Hero's got a bit of that fucking the angel and the gambler that we were talking about it on does. Iron Maiden sort of thing yeah. to it, doesn't it? It's it's not as bad a culprit. I think the angel and gambler and the gambler is even worse, but it yeah, it definitely does. But I mean, if you put Zero the Hero, Digital Bitch, and Born Again together, you've got almost half the record. Like, yeah, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I got to kind of the last two tracks, Hotline and Keep It Warm, and I'd sort of forgotten that this is meant to be a Black Sabbath album. Yes, so I was sort of listening to it, and I got to Hotline, and I was like, I don't really listen to this music that much, but you know, I don't hate it particularly. And then suddenly I went, Hold on, this is a Black Sabbath album. Yeah, what the fuck? What's yeah. going on? And that did make me go, no, 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 no. Like After those three songs, I've just had to suffer. Please give me something better than that. So I think Hotline, you know, again, as we were saying, in and of itself is not necessarily terrible. It's just an 80s metal song. But uh, it's not a Black Sabbath song. I think that's it's not exactly... worthy worthy of the name of being a Black Sabbath song. That's exactly what I thought as well. I was just like, this just sounds like a another 80s song. Um, and I pretty much say the same thing with Keep It Warm, really. Um, like, certainly not the worst tracks on the record. And a, a, a mild, a mild upward incline, I would say. But, you know, 
yeah and certainly certainly that that thing of having to remind myself that i was listening to black sabbath <laughs> i had to do that a lot um, particularly yeah. towards the end of this record so yeah yeah again i mean i thought keep it warm is an okay if a little bit overly sexy uh yeah. bluesy sort of hard rock number but it's sort of too little too late to save this i think this kind of starts like you say you go oh black sabbath sound different on trashed and disturbing the priest yes but i was actually but towards the end of disturbing the priest which you know like you said probably the best song on the album musically i think yeah. definitely the best song on the album musically um i was kind of all right but yeah. then it gets bad like then it when you think there's bad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got like, you know, two and a half minutes, basically, just over two and a half minutes of like, you know, sort of filler, instrumental guff. You've got two songs which are all right. And then you've got three which are really quite bad. Mm. And then you've got two which are just fine. So it's not great. It's not great, but we've had... when you way, at, way worse, yeah. We have had way worse. I mean, not not to get into the comparisons too early, because I know there'll be an afterward, but like when you look at the other metal albums we've had on the list, I think I think it won't do too badly, this record. Yeah, brevity is also, you know, much appreciated on this record. Mm. 41 minutes. When you look at how long, um, you know, Cold Chambers, Chamber Music was, when you look oh, at how long Supercharger. Supercharger was, and you look at how long fucking Virtual Eleven was, uh yeah yeah i mean 41 minutes ultimately it's only six songs isn't it really it's an eight track album but it's only really six songs it's a nine track album so it's seven songs yes you're right you're right it's, yeah nine track yeah so seven songs it's not really well, i wonder what song i forgot <laughs> uh one of the last two probably isn't it yeah you know so like seven actual songs 41 minutes it's not the biggest undertaking which does help no. I think it's really interesting as well. Um, they, I mean, why they deemed it necessary to release a de- deluxe edition for this album, I don't really know. Um, but they released a deluxe edition for the album in 2011. And um, one of the discs, the second disc has their live set from Reading Festival on August 27th, 1983. Mad. It is really interesting to see the sets that they were playing. So they start with Hotline, which is, I think we've both just said, the most average 80s track. It's just like, oh, it's an 80s song. Then they go into War Pigs. Fucking hell. I can't imagine Gillen doing War I really want to find this now. I, I might listen to this on Spotify later because I really want to hear Ian Gillen doing War Pigs. I can't imagine. That sounds great. Black Sabbath, The Dark. So that instrumental. Zero the Hero, Jesus Christ. Digital Bitch. Wow. Lads, that would be a lads. piss break. That would be a piss break. Iron Man. Smoke on the Water. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And Paranoid. Mm. Well, apparently as well. So we'll get into the aftermath now. So uh, they went out and toured the album, as you quite rightly said. Bill Ward decided not to join them on tour. He thought that the pressure of being on the road was going to make him drink. So he decided that he wasn't going to do that. So he was replaced by Bev Bevan. Beverly Beverly Bevan, I think is to give him his full name, maybe, uh, probably not. But um, yeah, Bev Bevan was in ELO for a little bit, Jeff Lynne's ELO, and apparently they were going to do a cover of Mr. Blue Sky, as well as a cover of Smoke on the Water, which, okay, uh, let's 
be glad that that didn't fucking happen. Um, and yes, you quite, you quite rightly said, the uh, Reading Festival debacle of 1983 is sort of considered maybe the worst, that and Live Aid actually, kind of the worst Black Sabbath gigs, the most kind of high-profile, terrible Black Sabbath gigs. Unless we're now counting, I mean, I'm guessing we can now start to count downloads 2016, was it that they came? And oh, God, it I absolutely mean... pissed it down and they were fucking dreadful. I think it was 2016, yeah. Yeah, so we could okay. count download 2016 as well, mm-hmm. really, because that was pretty fucking bad. So it's the Stonehenge thing that was roundly mocked on uh, This Is Spinal Tap, mm-hmm. the real thing that happened, um, except it was the, 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 the other way it's around. the other way around, yeah. Yeah, rather than it being really, really small, it was really massive. It's huge, yeah. Um, in his autobiography, Tony Omi remembers the first time he saw the Stonehenge set up. He said, we were in shock. This stuff was coming in and in. It had all these huge columns in the back that was wide as your average bedroom. The columns in front were about 13 feet high. We had all these monitors and the side fills as well as all this rock. It was made of fiberglass and wood and bloody heavy. Somebody accidentally made a full-scale model of Stonehenge for Black Sabbath to take out on tour with them. I think Completely it was... Completely um, ridiculous. I think it was... I think Giza submitted the measurements but like got mixed up between foot and meters or something like that that's certainly a story that i've heard and i, I say geezer and now i'm like oh god was it actually geezer or not one of the, uh, the story that i've heard is one of the members of the band submitted the drawings and put the numbers on in you know meters rather than feet or something like that and that's how it happened silly Silly. Silly boys. Um, also, Gillen couldn't remember the words to those classic Black Sabbath songs that you were just talking about. Mm. Couldn't remember all of the words. So, because why would you? Why would you remember the words to a song like Paranoid? That <laughs> is so niche. So he had to have all the lyrics written down on a card and a sort of book that he put on stage. And unfortunately for him, because the band used so much dry ice... It would cover up the lyric sheets and he couldn't see them anyway. So he would probably... I don't know if this is true of the Reading show, that he had to kind of just riff his way through it. Um, They also used to open up the show, uh, again, this is the idea of Don Arden, with a tape of a baby crying and a dwarf dressed up as the baby from the front cover of the album coming on stage and pretending to to cry, which is Mm. silly as fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like, how fucking silly is that? Well, not only is it silly as fuck, but it would not be done these days. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. So it's kind of gone down as one of the most iconically awful tours in the history of music ever. This tour, like just an absolute fucking shit show. Terrible set list. Singing doesn't know the words. You're dressing a dwarf up as an evil baby when you're coming on stage. You're playing you know someone's ending your set with a cover of your new singer's old band's biggest hit and yeah and he doesn't know the words to the other songs like what a fucking mess what a fucking mess um after the tour gillen decided to leave and he rejoined deep purple probably for the best in it really Mm. that is for the best definitely yeah um david donato who was an unknown singer joined the band and bill ward came back when um 
Beverly Bev Bevan left as well, and they demoed some new material in 1984, but unhappy with the results, they kicked Donata out of the band, and Bill Ward also left as well. Very soon after that, Geezer Butler left the band too, saying that as soon as they recruited Gillen, he no longer felt like it was Black Sabbath, which is completely fair, and he went to do some solo stuff. And Iommi took the band and put it on, on a hiatus um, after that, or so he thought, as when he started recording his solo stuff, it ended up becoming that Seventh Star album, which is, I'd say, arguably even worse than this record. Yeah, and that was I, never... I, I think Seventh Star is worse than this record. Yeah, and was never meant to be a Black Sabbath album either. I mean, never, ever, ever meant to be a Black Sabbath album. So maybe, you know, leave artists alone to do the shit that they fucking need to do. Do you know what I mean? Even that... more weirdly, the cover of Seventh Star has them as Black Sabbath featuring tony iomi yeah and it's like when did black sabbath not feature tony iomi it's ridiculous absolutely completely just unbelievably ridiculous unbelievably ridiculous do you know how many vocalists black sabbath have had over the years oh what an interesting question um no but i think it'd be fun to guess Mm -hmm. let me just work it out quickly then hold on um let's say 17 17 singers no it's 10 okay 10 different vocalists over the years and i wasn't particularly aware of like a lot of them i got like really do you know what i mean like kind of would go oh i know the name but like i don't really know yeah sort of who that is so if you'd asked me prior to doing this podcast i think i would have told you there were like four singers or something yeah i mean i could have said to you like okay so there's ozzy dio gillen Glenn Hughes, and I know people know Tony the Cat Martin as well, yeah. uh, who was in it for a little bit. I mean, fuck me, apparently he was um, maybe the worst one. But then there's someone called from 1985 called Jen, Jeff Fenholt, Ron Keel and David Donato, who I just mentioned as well. Yeah, Ron Keel, you aware of Ron Keel? No. I can't sound no. Ron I mean, Keel. I mean, I mean, might have read the probably, probably did read the name in the Sabbath biography that I read, but don't recall it. And Dave Walker, who initially replaced Ozzy for oh. a year before Ronnie James Dio came in. Huh. Didn't know that. No. Genuinely didn't know that. Um, anyway, so there you go. A lot of people that used to be in Black Sabbath, but it was all all good because you know they did Live Aid with Ozzy and it was bad. But then in 1997, they reformed. And basically since then, every time you see Black Sabbath, you're getting either the original lineup or some slight variant on the original lineup with just a different drummer basically yeah. isn't it just a different drummer yeah well i mean don't forget that heaven and hell um and the, heaven and the, hell there was the yep. heaven and hell thing and they they reformed as heaven and hell to make it distinct but but yes certainly under the black sabbath name you now get the original lineup or nothing well you don't even get that anymore no because it's split up haven't they that's true hmm but you would have done. You would have done. So where do we stick this record? Where do we stick it? I don't think, I'm going to say straight away before we go into it, when I look at some of the other, like say, metal albums that we've done, Illud Divinum Insanus by Morbid Angel. What a mess. What a slog. What a disaster. Mm -hmm. Musically, what an absolute fucking disaster. I think it's better than that, which yes. means it's better than Chamber Music, Super Collider, yes. One More Light, Generation Swine. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing as bad as Brandon on here. 
even nope. the bad stuff is not as bad as Brandon. Absolutely. And then not. when you go down a little bit later on, we've got stuff like Machine Head Supercharger, Iron Maiden's Virtual Eleven, in between Macho Man Randy Savage, both of them. But there's a little group of stuff there which is like you know, this is where the kind of it's quite bad, but it's not bad enough to really get that mm. annoyed about that kind of American life, Uma Gumma, Results May Vary, Lip Biscuit Tray, Primitive Call, Black and White Rainbows, Three by Van Halen, Melodia by the Vines. Like none of them are really worth getting that angry about in or that kind of like ugh about. And that's kind of how I feel about this. I think it's not very good. Mm. And it's a silly idea. But I have a little bit of sympathy for Black Sabbath because they never wanted to release this as a Black Sabbath album. And the results are often crap, sometimes all right, and occasionally, you know, quite surprisingly different, but but all right, but decent enough. Do you know what else is often crap, sometimes all right, and, uh, you know, not tainted the legacy of because, you know, Black Sabbath was still huge and all that, but but, you know left a, a small mark on their legacy uh three by van halen yeah that's true and i think i actually think there's um a fair few similarities in some cases between this and van halen three third new singer yeah exactly also third singer yeah and what i am trying to figure out in my head is which of these albums do i prefer Three by Van Halen or Born Again. Um, I'm not sure. They they make it quite a good pairing, and yeah, I mean, you know, one album uh, with that lineup, the band themselves seem to go. You know, no one's got a bad word particularly to say about Ian Gillen in the no. band. They just don't think he was right for Black Sabbath. Um, obviously, Gary Sharon wasn't right for Van Halen, even though they kept sort of saying that he was, but he, mm. you know, he obviously wasn't. Mm. And they made one album, and I get, and also I imagine sort of record label pressure led them to sort of doing that. For me, due to the length, I would probably pip Black Sabbath's Born Again over Van Halen's Three because Van Halen Three is it's long. quite long, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it That's is a, a long point. record. Whereas this at least kind of, even though there is that one song which is fucking long, nothing's as long as, I mean, some of the shit on that Van Halen album. And also, when I think of like the worst bit of that Van Halen album, which is Eddie Van Halen fronting his own band. Like, you know, he's the guitarist in the band and it's his name, but he fronts his own. So I'd actually say there's kind of like, there's a a slightly elevated level of egotism surrounding Van Halen 3 with Eddie singing this like, sort of messiah complex style song do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. which which was was not good there's nothing quite as bad as that on this other than a few sort of quite like eye rolly she's a bitch she's a long-legged freaky deaky whatever but even then you're only kind of rolling your eyes for like three seconds and then yeah. whereas you know yeah no that's very well that's, argued actually and that's probably on van halen three as well okay so just to make sure, <laughs> would you rather listen to this or Melodia by The Vines? I think I'd rather um, listen to Melodia. To I think honest. I would too. Mm. I don't think there's anything necessarily... Like, it's funny, isn't it? Because at the time you listen to them and you go, God, that's boring. Oh, that wasn't very good. Or what is that? And you don't want to like The Vines. Do you know what I mean? mm. I, I, mm. I'm, not gonna, I'm not happy about this being nice to The Vines. Do you know what I mean? But I do think 
that sort of objectively speaking, there is really nothing that is particularly wrong with that album, particularly when you think of some of the shit that we have had to fucking deal with over the last um, however long. I remember being quite pleasantly surprised by that Vines mm. album. So Yeah, I'm I'm happy to put Born Again below the Vines. Cool. That's where For it me. is then. So I put it number 57. Okay, good. We've got another album that I've just pulled from the hat. Oh, how funny. I was literally just about to... I was about to make a joke about this band when you were saying this album... Do you know what else is boring and long and bad and i was like i was about to say muse's entire discography and i didn't and maybe the universe just wanted me to talk about muse very briefly because we've got simulation theory by muse interesting and we've only just recently done a classic album on muse that's true so i've got to listen to muse again (laughs) i was kind of hoping i would have at least a sort of five-year gap where i didn't have to listen to muse They've got a new album coming out They've as well. They've got a new so... album coming out as well. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, oh. I mean, I, I'm I'm not best pleased that it's Muse because um, I think that album is rubbish. That's a bit of a spoiler. But <laughs> in a way it's a spoiler, but in a way it isn't because this is actually an album we reviewed on the show. Is that the first yeah. time this has happened on Riot? That is, uh, well, sort of. Um, we did do the Morbid Angel album on Trade Off, didn't we? Yes, okay. Okay. So I don't know if that counts because that was kind of a retrospective look at that album. Yeah. Well, I'll go back to that review. Yeah. I mean, I'm I haven't listened to it since obviously, but I you know, I do remember hating it. Yeah, it's pretty crap. Pretty fucking crap. <sighs> All right, good. See you next week everyone. We'll be back with Muse. I mean, if you if we don't get it out this time next week, then obviously, you know, just go back to our original Muse review <laughs> and have a little look at that to see if uh if you uh, if you think we're going to change our tune or change our mind that much. Uh, and we'll be back then. So that was Black Sabbath. Next week we've got Muse. How exciting. See you later, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>